Hey everyone, welcome to The Orchard Podcast with Amy Hughes and Rachel Hughes. We hope this episode encourages and inspires you today. Welcome, if you are listening to the podcast, uh, we're here at Focus. Uh, We're not on our own, as you can hear in the background. We're joined by, I don't know, quite a lot of women, several hundred, if not, I don't know, let's not over-egg it. There's a lot of us, there's a lot of us in a barn here. Uh, And if you've been tuning into the podcast, you'll know that we have been looking at uh, women from the Old Testament. And this morning, Amy, we're going to be looking at... Deborah, Deborah. So we're in Judges 4. Uh, if you've got a Bible, if you're in a room, open up to Judges 4. If you're listening on the podcast, if you're running or driving, we say that every time, maybe don't open your Bible at this point if you're dangerous. Um, but if you're at home, open it up. We're going to be diving in Judges 4, looking at the story of Deborah. And uh, as always, well, actually, no, you're going to give us a quick whistle-stop tour of how we're here at Judges 4. Before you read it. I yeah. think so, yeah. Yeah, basically, for that, I'm sure many of you know the book of Judges. Uh, but a little context then is, um, so they are into the Promised Land, um, and the I'm actually in Judges in my Bible in a year. Yeah, that's right. a confession. We're, yeah. we're like a few months behind, aren't we, Bible in one year? Yeah, our husbands call it Bible in 10 years. Bible in 10 years, yeah. <laughs> We are, we're getting there. I'm actually doing Bible in one year express, and I'm still behind. I got that, isn't it? Is there an an express? Anyway, carry on. Um, Yes. So, um, yeah, anyway, so judges, we get to judges, and they're they're in the promised land, but anyway, they basically start um, worshipping other gods. um, And they, as they're worshipping other gods, they then fall into oppression, and then uh, there's these cycles over and over again where they fall into oppression um, and then they cry out to God saying, oh God, please help us, please help us. And then God raises up a judge well, that then comes and basically delivers them. Uh, and then the cycle continues. They're delivered and then they cry out. Uh, they mess it up again. They mess it up again start worshiping other gods. Uh, I say it like that, but that's our story, isn't it? Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. Oh, um, we'll go on to and uh, worshiping other gods, and they cry out, and they, they, the cycle continues and continues. Anyway, all the judges, uh, they're very different characters, but one of the judges is Deborah. And she's, uh, they, they get worse, basically, through the book of Judges, don't they? Um, but Deborah's a, you know, she's, she's good. She's a good egg. She's a good yeah, so that's, that's the context that we're in, basically. And so um, we're going to read, uh, we're going to read together uh, Judges 4. Here we go. If you've got it in front of you, if you haven't, I'll read it in my best theatrical voice just to keep you engaged. Um, here we go. Sorry, now I'm suddenly feeling the pressure. So uh, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, he was the judge before Deborah. Uh, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Caesarea, we, we weren't quite sure, Sisera, let's go with that, Sisera, the commander of the army, was based in, oh gosh, Haraseth, Hagoyim, mm-hmm. uh, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. Just let that sink in for a second. She was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. 
And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She went, um, she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men to Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the river of Kishon and give him into, their, into, give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will de- deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heba, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in somewhere near Kadesh. Begins with Z. I'm not going to attempt it. Too many, there's way too many consonants in that one. Um, when they told Caesarea that Barak, son of Abin Noah, had gone up to. Sorry, this is hard going, isn't it? But stay with me. Just the names. It is the word of the Lord. <laughs> had gone up to Mount Tabor. Caesarea summoned from. Oh, dear. <laughs> stay with us. Keep going. Haroshev, Hagwayim, to the river Kishon, all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Okay, we're back on safe ground. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Caesarea into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Caesarea and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Caesarea got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as that place, and all Caesarea's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Caesarea, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael. Let's meet Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Canaanite, Jael went out to meet Caesarea and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. So she opened a skin of milk. I always find that interesting. He asks for water, but she gives him milk. Don't know why. Sleepy, uh, sleepy. Oh, sleepy. That's why. Yes, of course. She gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes and asks you, is anyone there? Say no. But Jael, he was wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Wow. Just then, Barak came, in, came by and pursued Caesarea, and Jael went out to meet him, presumably covered in blood. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Caesarea with the tent peg through his temple, dead. Sorry, a bit gruesome, isn't it, for like 8.30 in the morning. On that day, God subdued Jacob, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, 
And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Woo, sorry, that was, yeah, wow, there we go. Did you follow that? Just about. Do you know, we were going to give our daughter the middle name JL. Oh, yeah. And then Tim was like, I just, I just think she might be a bit crazy. Yeah, so we, we went for Jubilee instead. It had to be with Jay. There we go. JL is a great name. It's a cool name. Yeah. Are you, anyone called JL? No. No, okay, few. <laughs> it's a good name. I do know some people, Jay. Anyway, carry on. So, yes. what we're going to do is the way we always structure this is we're going we're gonna to look at three questions. If you're a note taker, we're going to ask the question, what do we learn about Deborah from the story? Then we're going to ask, what do we learn about God through this story? And then what do we learn for ourselves? What are the lessons that we can learn for ourselves that, that, that we can draw out of this slightly gruesome and slightly alien to our story? So let's jump in. What do we know about Deborah? Yes. Well, we know a few things. Um, so we obviously know that Deborah is a prophet, prophetess. Um, and... Uh, Interesting, I was chatting to someone uh, last night, actually, who is a theologian, and, uh, and this particular person was saying it's interesting because um, Deborah, unlike all the other judges, is actually gaining sort of power, if you like, uh, by her spiritual gift, as Ooh, opposed to good. many other men judges who are gaining their power through violence. So that is wow. interesting. Yeah, so it's a sort of a spirituality. This is a gift, but she's also gained quite a lot of power through this um, particular spiritual gift. That's an encouragement to any prophets, isn't it? In yeah. the room, that actually, um, our spiritual gift, yes, God true. can use as an opportunity to lead others. Yeah. So encouragement and, to prophets. And also, obviously, what Deborah does um, is she uses. So as a judge, you know, so she's a leader. There's no, it's not a doubt that she's a leader. Um, in Israel, and, and she is a judge, which obviously she's using this gift to um, discern disputes. So she's basically, people are coming to her and she's saying, you know, this is what God says you should do with it. Um, so it's huge amounts of authority and huge amounts of power um, and is needed in this particular context. Were you going to say something? No, I wasn't. Yeah. Um, so she's a judge. Um, she was obviously very clearly respected um, because we read, don't we, that. Um, Barak says, "If I, if I'm, I'm, I'm only going to do what the Lord has asked me. If you come with me, yeah. Um, and it's, it's what, um, you know, it's the Moses statement, isn't it? Where yeah. Moses said, Lord, I, I'm only going to do it if you come with me. And so again, this is a moment where Barak is, he sees that he, she's carrying God. You know, she's the presence of the Lord in his mind. And so I'm only going to fight. So I'm only going to obey God." If you come with me, so it's huge authority. So there must, carrying. yeah. So there's like a holiness about her. Yeah. There's something she's of the presence of God about her. So yeah. as much as Moses is saying, to as, as much as um, Moses is saying, I'm only going to go if the presence of the Lord. If you come with me, yeah. it's the same thing that's happening here yeah. with Deborah. I mean, it's profound. Yeah, it's a huge authority. Um, yeah, huge honor, huge respect. Um, and masses amount of power. Yeah. Um, and obviously she's wise with it. And interesting, she's also married. We know that she's married, and yet again in a patriarchal society, it's incredible that she is the one that's elevated into leadership. Yeah. And we don't know anything about her husband or her marriage necessarily, but uh, even that, I, 
I'm, I'm wondering if there was a degree to which he has released her or enabled that. I don't know. We can only guess. It's so hard, isn't it, when we're talking about a world, a society that is so different from our own yeah. in many ways. But yeah. um, clearly, yeah. in that society, there must have been something exceptional oh, on her absolutely, yeah. for her to be identified. Of course, judges, it's not like they put themselves forward to the yeah. public vote. Oh, yeah. I think I'll have a go at leadership, thanks. Yeah. Like, she's anointed, Absolutely. she's chosen, yeah. she, she's identified as the leader. Um, so, And there is, I've, I've read some stuff that says, oh, yeah, it was only Deborah because there were no other guys available. I mean, that's just rubbish. Let's just name that for what it is. <laughs> that's just rubbish. Yeah. There were loads of guys around, yeah. but she was chosen to lead at that moment. Yeah. I mean, God has entrusted that leadership on her yeah. Um, yeah, for that time. Um, and it just is, it, it is amazing that there, there will be, there would have been, you know, cues of people are saying, you know, what's God saying? What's God saying? I mean, it, it, yeah, I think we need to really picture the level of authority God has given her in that, in this time. Yeah, and and within the context that yeah. she's living in. Yeah, so it's, it's so upside down, exactly. That's it's so I mean. extraordinary. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to jump now into what do we learn about God? And we just highlighted uh, seven things, again, no takers in the room, um, which we will whip through. So, again, some people are like, seven, wow, seven. It's all right, we're going to go at a pace. Don't worry, you will get your breakfast after this. Um, the first thing, number one, the thing that we learn about God through this, is God hates it when we worship other gods. Yeah. And again, we read that in the Old Testament, and it feels kind of foreign and alien to us, because in the Old Testament, when they talk about worshipping other gods, like they literally mean other gods, like these sort of symbols of gods with a small g made out of bronze or silver or wood or whatever it might be, like shrines. And to us, again, that just seems weird. And yet we live with the same problem. Yeah. We, our gods don't look like the gods that appear in the Old Testament, but, but we are suffering the same human condition, which is that we have this like propensity to worship anything other than God. Yeah. And again, it's important to say that that is how human beings have been wired. Like, we have been wired to worship. For me, it's like one of the greatest apologetics for the existence of God, that, that, that we, just, we just can't help ourselves. We, we're wired to worship. And if we're wired to worship, then surely, surely within our DNA, within the very fabric of our being, if that inclination is to worship, then there has to be a God that, that needs to be the object of our worship uh, and what we learn through the scripture, particularly the Old Testament, this cycle of the Israelites turning away from God, worshipping other gods, it going messy, I was going to say a rude word, something up, but we're in a, <laughs> we're in a room of women, I could probably get away with that. Yeah. But pear shapes, let's go with pear shapes. Yeah. And it's because they keep worshipping other gods and we do the same thing. Yeah. And, yeah. God, and God hates it yeah. because... It is so, it's such bad news for the human soul. It is such bad news in terms of human flourishing when we just keep turning. And, and I think, I think one of, the, one of the, the revelations that I've had recently, and we've talked about this a little bit in the podcast, is within the context of our, our sort of constant desire to worship other things, 
is the desperate need for repentance. And I think we see that happening a bit at the moment, don't we? That, that God is doing a work of repentance, I think, in his church. Uh, and for me, on a very personal level, I've really been on this journey in my own personal devotion time of identifying the other gods that I keep wanting to worship and repenting and laying down, uh, not, not because God wants to put me on a guilt trip, not out of a sense of shame, but for the sake of freedom. So just a quick illustration, for me getting really sort of personal, I can find myself worshipping, and the way I define it in my own mind is worshipping the God of Finn. That's how I, like, I have this drawing towards this desire to be thinner. I'm just jumping straight in here. Uh, and honestly, it can become a God in my life. And we live in a society that worships the God of a particular size and shape. We know that. Uh, and so it's constantly being fed. And so for me, in my personal times, on a regular basis, I'm like, God, I, I just dethrone the idol of sin. Another one is success. God, I dethrone the idol of success. You alone, Jesus, are on the throne. Because it's so much better for me. Yeah. It is, it, I'm, I come into a place of freedom when he's on the throne and other things aren't. Yeah. There we go. Sorry. No, it's so good. I was just thinking it's hard sometimes to identify. I don't worship. I worship Jesus. Yeah, that's good. But I think actually, for, I feel the same. Gosh, I think my story I was sharing it the other day is this his relentless pursuit of identifying things, other things that I trust or depend on or put my control in. And that is what worshipping other gods is, isn't it? It's yes. like, oh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm trusting them, this more than I'm trusting you to deliver. A bit like we were speaking last night as well, that actually worshipping other things is where I put my trust, my dependence yeah. and my control. And actually, Tim Cook Keller has written a brilliant book on this called Counterfeit God. If you want to dig into this a little bit more, his book Counterfeit God is amazing. And I remember he says, if you want to identify the other gods in yeah. your life, follow back the trail of your fear. So what's the fear? What, what, what fears do you have? And usually at the end of it, yeah, so good. it will be where the idols are, yeah. where the gods are, yeah. that, that are maybe wanting to steal the place yeah. of Jesus. And again, just to reiterate, yeah. it's because God, it's, it's about freedom. Yeah. It's about freedom. It's about trust. It's about reliance. Yeah. So number one, God hates it when we worship other gods, and that's what's happening in the context of this. Number two. Yeah, really good. We, this, I'll speed through. Yeah, this sorry. But, uh, yeah. No, uh, that's really that's a good one. So okay. Um, but secondly, um, he's merciful. We learn that about God. Um, that, again, we said, didn't we, sort of, as we were talking about the context of this, but time and time again, they cry out for God's help. You know, even though they have turned against, you know, gone to worship other idols and all of that, and worshiping other gods, um, they cry out. And every single time, God is merciful and faithful and sends some, you know, someone in Judges' case to, to come and ultimately he sent Jesus, hasn't he, um, that we can be set free. Um, and so it's just another very, very clear illustration that God keeps and has kept um, his covenant. You know, we uh, break it all the time. We break our promise to God, but he never, ever breaks our promise, uh, sorry, his promise to us. Um, and so, yeah, God is a merciful God, never, ever doubt it. And that's good news for us, isn't it? That, again, 
I think sometimes with repentance, I was having a conversation with somebody recently who, who was a Christian, but she said, oh, I don't, I don't like it when I come to church and we do like the confession. Yeah. And we, we all, you know, we, we have to bring our sins. She said, I, I, I don't like it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. It's like, it's like we're wanting to shame everybody. And I was like, no, 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 no. You've got that completely wrong. I didn't quite say it as strongly as that. I was, I was slightly more pastoral. But I said, no, you've got this really wrong. No, you've misunderstood. Repentance is not about bringing people into shame. It's the greatest gift. It's about setting people free. It's quite the opposite because he's merciful. Because when we bring it to him, he's not there with the stick. Yeah, you really messed it up. He's there with arms wide open, merciful arms of grace. Say, come come back in, come back in. Uh, and that's the freedom, isn't it? It's and, amazing. And even, I don't know whether even some of us are in the room, but even reading Judges where over and over and over again, um, that there is, there is no end. Like even if you are like, oh, I feel like I've, I've done it again, or I've turned away too much now, or I've done the thing that he's been working on for all these years, and now I've like relented or whatever. It just, it's so beautiful to read these stories that it's never ever, you, there's never an end to us crying out for him. There's never an end for us to say, okay, well, I've done it again. You know, um, I'm crying out to be merciful to me because that's who he is. That is his nature. So number two, he's merciful. And then number three, he's faithful. I feel like we've thing, slightly yeah. covered that. But again, I guess his, his faithfulness is outworked in his mercy. That he, he never lets us down. He never lets us go. He's there always even again even when we don't necessarily feel it or see it we trust he is so faithful and actually that is the power of going back isn't it into the old testament thousands you know we're going back hundreds thousands of years and we find ourselves here and it's the same god who is faithful to his people he's still faithful he's the same yesterday today and forever and so uh, let's just remember that let's Let's be mindful and grateful for his faithfulness. So that's uh, number three. He, he keeps his promises. Number four, number four. He raises up women in leadership. Let's get an amen for that. Number four, it is clear. He raises up women in leadership. Mm. And I'm, I'm guessing that if you're here at Focus you're already in an environment where women are raised up in leadership. But we need to acknowledge uh, that there are lots of places, churches, church networks, that still question that, or even more strongly, uh, would dispute that God calls women into leadership based on certain scriptures, particularly in the New Testament. Uh, some of you will be very well aware of those. And my encouragement, we, we can't go into all of those now, obviously. But my encouragement to you, if there is any, if you're sitting in here and there is any doubt in your mind that God chooses to raise up leaders, and I'm talking about leaders in the church, I'm talking about leaders in ministry, um, in charity sector, in the business world, in the 
civic world, you know, in the community world, God chooses to raise up women into leadership. Uh, And so if there's any doubt in your mind, let me implore you, beg you, go and do the work. Like, there are some fantastic resources out there. In fact, Rach, who, Rach is amazing. Rach um, works with Amy and I. Maybe we can put up, we'll put up on our social media. So if you're, um, we're Orchard Women on Instagram. Maybe we can put up, uh, we'll put up a whole bunch of books around women in leadership. So if you want to have a look at those, we'll put them up there. That's where you'll find them. Go and do the work uh, and really explore the scriptures. It might be that you were raised in an environment, in a family, in a church setting where that wasn't talked about or, or rather where women weren't encouraged into leadership. Go and do the work with the Lord with some great resources because... Well, it's true. There we go. That's what, yeah, I, is that quite a bit? No, it, yeah. Very good. We're stand by that. We should, it was like 10 to 9. Sorry, yeah, sorry. No, I'm quick. No, not you. It's good. I'm no, just, it is me. Um, <laughs> fifthly, he entrusts women to carry um, his voice. Again, it's, it, we sort of spoke about this, but obviously Deborah carries his voice, which also means she carries his heart. Um, and so I just think, again, it's a good reminder that God wants to speak through us, that he, um, he wants to speak through everyone in this room, um, that he entrusts us to carry his heart and his voice um, into every part of our lives. Um, and so open your ears to that, that he might want to impart that gift even now, um, or even where you maybe disregarded it, where you're like, oh, does God speak? I'm not sure he speaks through me. Maybe he's wanting to clear out your ears to, um, to speak to you afresh, to re-commission um, you in that um, gift that you carry. Um, because what we can see through Deborah is it carries such weight um, and authority um, for the sake of the kingdom. So I'm just wondering if, for some women, it's not the ears that are the problem. Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe there are women in the room, you're like, actually hearing God yeah, is not the problem. To say it out. It's the... It's the mouth that's the problem. Yeah. It's the, we're going to come on to this in a moment, but it's the confidence to speak it out. Mm. That actually the ears work fine. It's the mouth that needs a bit of a nudge. Yeah, that's good. So number six, so number five was he entrusts women to carry his voice. Number six, he wins in upside down ways. <laughs> Do you want to pick this one up? <laughs> well, I mean a tent pick. <laughs> <laughs> It's fairly unorthodox, isn't it? Um, but even other, you know, through, you know, through the other judges, you pick up Gideon as one of the judges, you know, and he he wins by one god sort of getting rid of all his armies, yeah, um, and then they win by blowing trumpets and and smashing jars. You know, throughout judges, they win in upside down. They win not like the war. They yeah, win like the battle. Sorry, they win the yeah. battle in that way. Yeah, um, and so it just. I just think we need to understand, again, that God doesn't fight the battle in the way that we think uh, he should fight the battle. Um, and again, we spoke about this uh, at last year's conference, just that he's, his ways are upside down. You know, sometimes I, if I'm in a moment where I'm feeling an injustice, I can get a bit cross with the Lord. It's like, you're not fighting it in the, in the way that I, I want the justice now. I want to see it now, you know. Um, but actually, he's like, no, I'm gonna. Actually, I'm gonna win and, and upside down. I want you to go and 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 give that person a gift, or I want you to go and wash that person's feet, you know, in Jesus' way, or whatever it is. You know, his ways are 
so upside down and we need to surrender to it. You're fighting the battle and I'm going to surrender and take your hand in whatever way you want me, you know, you want to use me in your fight. Um, And so again, we just learn that so much through here. And you know, the Tempeg thing and JL and did she hear the Lord say pick up a hammer and a thing? We'll never know. (laughs) Perhaps not. Imagine the Lord like, oh, not the Tempeg. Oh, like pillow over the mat um, no, over the upside down. Sorry. <laughs> That's what I would have done. Way less messy. Wow. Um, but the upside down way that we do know is that within this culture, obviously women are less honoured. Um, and so he's winning, um, you know, he's fighting this battle and he wins through, it says, you know, you're, the barracks not going to be honoured because they, they, he's going to deliver um, the, the people into a woman, you know, and we were like, oh. Oh, but really? but yeah. the point isn't you know the point is it's not putting women down. No, the point is I I the glory belongs to me, and I'm going to do it in ways. I'm going to fight in ways that bring the glory back to me because I'm the one to fight your battle. I'm the one to deliver, um, and it and he does that to us all the time. It's like no, I'm gonna I want I want to be the strength in this. I want to deliver. I want to come through, and I need you to know that it's me. Um, because that's where he gets the glory and ultimately that's where freedom and peace is when we know that he's in charge. Yes. So yeah, upside down ways. I was going to say, the again, when we think about some of the injustices that have been waged against women uh, over the centuries, I mean, the, the list in terms of how misogyny and sexism has played out over the centuries, it's like, it's a horrible list. Yeah. You know, I, or sexual violence, um, female genital mutilation, you know, slavery, the sex industry, blah, blah, blah. I could go on. The list is long. And I know, again, like you said, for me, the temptation is to want to fight in the ways of the world. Yeah. You know, like aggression. And even we see this sort of playing out in militant feminism, don't we? It's like we want to grab the power back. We want revenge, cancel culture. It, it, it's, it, they are the weapons of the world. Uh, and God uses in his battle yeah. a whole different set of weapons. Like divine, And what we realize is that the weapons of surrender, they're the weapons, they're the divine tools of power that are, are like laying down. It's, it's inter- like, let, let's fight but in the, the prayer room. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Let, let, let's do battle in intercession. Yes, let's stand up for injustice. My goodness, let's stand up for injustice. It doesn't mean sort of lying down and not taking action, but we've got to be so aware. Are we picking up the weapons of the world or are we picking up these divine tools and fighting in the upside down way that God does? Number seven, I think you've touched on this already, but, but what we learn is that God doesn't want to share his glory from with anyone else, which ties into this upside down ways that we fight in a way that always allows God to get the glory. And and again, he has to get the glory, not because he's on an ego trip, but because it's just better for us that way. We can't handle it. It's not good for us when all the glory comes to us. And so he's like, let me handle the glory you just get on with it, knowing that whatever you do, it's, it's by my grace and for my glory. Okay, we're going to jump into the last section. What do we learn for us 
And just as we uh, just as we spend this last time together, we do want to make sure for anyone that can stay. I think we've got till nine fifteen. Sorry, okay. if you're listening to the podcast, that's irrelevant. Can somebody give me a nod if we're here till nine fifteen? Yes, great. We do just want to pray for people, so we're going to make sure we have a little bit of time for that. Sorry if you're listening, we will pray for you too. Um, third thing, what do we learn for us? For this, we want to focus on leadership, because for Deb, the, the example of Deborah in the Old Testament is such a gift to any woman that feels called to leadership. And so, again, I said this earlier, we're talking about leadership in all contexts, not just leadership in the church, but leadership across the spectrum. So if you're sitting here thinking, God's called me to be a leader, but, but I don't want to lead a church. I'm a leader in business, or I'm a community leader, whatever it might be. That's what we're talking about. And so we thought it might be helpful uh, to identify a few things that hold women back from stepping into leadership, because certainly that's been our story. Uh, That's what we see playing out in our churches and amongst our friends, that it's very, in one sense, the first thing is to identify, has God called me to lead? That's one thing. The second thing is actually to step into it. And that's a whole other thing often, particularly for women. And I do think this is unique to women um, for particular reasons, of course, not exclusively, but I think it's pertinent for women. And the first thing we've identified is confidence. Confidence, uh, which comes back to this thing about there's nothing wrong with the ears, it's the mouth. That I think for a lot of women, we lack the confidence to say... God's called me to lead. I need to step in it. Does anyone resonate with that? Yes. Okay. Uh, again, is, is there anything that you want to add to that? I mean, maybe we could share some. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think ultimately, when I think about my own story, um, it is finding confidence in the Lord. <laughs> Because I would often say, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. You know, whatever it is I'm going to do. Um, and I feel like there was one time particularly when I was about to, I think I was actually at one of your things at Gastry, actually. But I was about to be on a panel or something. Um, and I was like, Lord, I can do this. And I felt like him say to me, Amy, you can do all things with me. You can do all things with me. Um, and, and actually from that moment, I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't actually need to be confident in me in any way. I just need to be confident in him. Um, and so I can do all things because he's with me. And if he's called me to it, if he's asking me, if this is stepping into obedience, um, then I can be confident that he will come through. I can be confident that he will give me the strength. I can be confident that he will give me the ability um, to be able to fulfill whatever he's asking me to fulfill. I don't need to take confidence in um in myself in that way. That's my story. I love that. We're going to pray into that. The next thing is comparison. I think for a lot of women, this is the thing that can hold us back. Mm. I spoke a little bit last night about Tim and how when I first started leading, uh, like it, it, it was really hard leading next to Tim. I've been at home. We had four children in quite quick succession biologically. And um, I'd been at home with them for seven years. I was a stay-at-home mom for seven years. And in that seven years, Tim was, like, practicing being a leader in church. And I was at home with the kids. Don't get me wrong, 
what I know now is being at home with small children is one of the best training grounds for church leadership. It's just not recognized. Like, you just don't get a certificate at the end of it. Like, honestly, I think we should ordain women just for doing that. (laughs) Because the skill set is not that dissimilar, you know? Like, negotiation, pastoral care, you know, it's all there. Um, And so even though I felt like I had this qualification in the trenches of small children, I I hadn't been on a stage holding a microphone, leading a congregation, leading a staff team. Wow. Um, Leading a staff team. I think it was just, nobody's, it's not JL, is it? She's not. (laughs) All right. Um, And and so, (laughs) I was quite pleased with that. Anyway, um, so we move on. Um, so, yeah, the temptation to compare. I think we compare ourselves to each other. Uh, we compare ourselves to the guys. And really the message is, oh, you've just got to be you. Like, you've ju- I, know, I know we say this is one of those things that just gets rolled out all the time. But it's true. Like... The best way you can lead is to be authentically you. And that's something we've been talking about again, that if you're going to lead anything, the most effective way you can lead is as you. It's as you, your authentic self. Don't try and be anybody else. And yet I know it's easy to say that because the pressure to be, you might be in an environment where leadership looks like this, or leadership is very male. You know, if you're in an environment where leadership looks like Men, that's hard, but please resist the temptation. Just be you, be your brilliant feminine self. Whatever femininity looks like, gosh, don't get me on that. Femininity looks like lots of things. Let's not make the box for femininity too small. Like it looks like lots of things. It looks like strength. It looks like creativity. It looks like guts. It looks like gentleness. It looks like having an opinion. Like, let's do femininity well. Stop, shush, carry on. Yeah, I think also, you might have said this already, sorry if you have. But but just the, um, you know, when it comes to comparison, I was actually talking to a friend um, the other day, and we were talking about how easy it is um, to compare, you know, with others, and especially the younger ones as well, just constantly looking around um, to sort of measure up, you know. And I think that when it comes to leadership and when it comes to, um, I guess, stepping into what God has for you, I just, we were just saying that, the, like, it's just not fair. It, you know, like, like, kingdom obedience is unfair. Like, in the sense of, you know, earthly fair. In the sense that one person stepping into obedience looks like, you know, I don't know, a million dollar house in California, maybe. Um, but somebody else's stepping into obedience is living on the streets or, you know, living in the slums or whatever. And actually, we just can't look side to side because everything will be made fair in new creation. When we are worshipping Jesus, like, you know, face to face, then it's like, oh, we are all equal at the foot of the cross, which we are. Um, but when it comes to the outworking of our obedience, we just cannot look to our side to side. That's why we need to be cheering each other on, whatever the next step of obedience is for every unique person in the room. Um, and it's this fair 
tithing. And it's just like, it robs us because we don't look ahead. We're not saying, Lord, what's, what, what have you called me to do next? What have you called me to do today? But it's like, well, this person's doing that. That's not fair. And then we're like, well, we've now like 10 years down the line and missed it. You know, and it's like, it's just not fair. Um, and it isn't. <laughs> Full stop. But obedience is what we're called to be. Um, and so what's your next step in obedience, I guess? I think, I think that connects to the next thing, which I think what can hold women back is a lack of opportunity. And I, I'm going to say two things that feel almost in contradiction, because I think it's your point, that some, uh, what, what somebody, a, a friend of mine once said to me, um, you know, Rach, you're only doing what you do because you're married to Tim. And it was a bit like, oh, oh that's, gosh, that hurts. Um, and... Yeah, that was probably quite an insensitive thing to say. But they were right. The truth is, I don't know what my obedience would have looked like if God didn't put me with Tim, but God put me with yeah, Tim. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, I happened to be married to a guy that was already doing lots of church leadership. And because I was there, I then got given opportunity to, to start leading and to spark preaching. I'm under no illusions of that. But that doesn't make it less God, just yeah. to me. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, I think on the one hand, there can be a real frustration. Oh, well, it's all right for her. She's kind of got a shoe in already, you know. But let's remember that God is over it all. Yeah. God is over it all. And yet at the same time, yeah. I think as women, we can really champion one another. The yeah. temptation is to be a bit like, yeah. oh, I'm going to keep the opportunity for myself. Yeah. But let's share it out. Let's share, you know, like... Raise them up. Yeah, let, let's, let's champion each other. Like, like, I got an email from lovely Jane. I don't know whether Jane Kirby's here. But I got a lovely email from Jane, my friend. She emailed me and said, I need to tell you about this other woman called Sarah. She's this amazing leader. She's got all this stuff going on in her life. Uh, you know, I just want to let you know about her. And I love that. Yeah. Because it's not Jane saying, let me tell you about me. She's like, I really want you to know about this other woman, and, and we can do that. Like, let's, let's do it. The other thing I'll say as well is I know for me, um, I decided early on that I wasn't going to force the door in terms of leadership and speaking. I wasn't going to manipulate in, in certain ways that I had decided about to create opportunities for me to speak or to lead. Because honestly, out of pure fear, because I thought if I manufacture anything, I'm gonna to have to do it in my own strength. But if God opens the door, which is kind of what's happened for me, like people have just asked and I said yes, then, then I know it's him. And so when I get asked to speak in front of lots of people, I know it's not because I've made it happen. Yeah. I know it's because he's wanting me to do it. And if he wants me to do it, like you said, well, it's going to be all right. So yeah. I think that's the other thing. I'm just conscious of time. We're going to pray. Lack of opportunity. And then I've done that one. The one other thing I said, perceptions of what it means to be feminine. I think we've got to be so careful of that. I hate it when we stereotype femininity too tightly because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's broad. Like there is such a, it, within the spectrum of femininity, there's so much room. Fear is the other one we jotted down. That can hold people back. Gosh, that's huge. We haven't got time to go into it. Yeah. Uh, excuses. Mm. 
I think we make excuses so easily. Is there anything you want to add? All I was going to say, just really quickly before we pray, is I, um, I think with the excuses thing, um, I think fear obviously plays into that. But for me personally, I do feel like the Lord um, has said to me over the years that you have agency in this. Like, you're, you have... You have a yes and you have legs to walk forward and to push doors, you know, not in that, you know, sense of like pushing yourself forward. But if he's asked, if a door is, o- is open to you, you can walk through it, you know, mm-hmm. even though it's frightening um, or my excuse is, oh, I can't in this season because X, Y, Z. Um, actually, I have agency to step in. Um, and when I was actually on my ordination um, retreat, uh, with, like the, literally the, the week up to my ordination service, um, I was, um, there was a worship gathering, and I was in worship, and I was saying to the Lord, um, are you sure, basically? Um, and I was saying, I'm not sure, Lord, you know, are you sure this is what you have for me, you know, doing all the bargaining. And, uh, and as I was, um, and as I was worshipping, I saw really clearly um, Jesus come up to me, you know, sort of in my mind's eye, you know, come up to me, and he was carrying a crown, um, and he put a crown over my head. Um, and, and I, in this moment of worship, was like, oh, this is so nice, you know, he's going to crown me, you know. Um, but he wouldn't put it on my head. So I was like standing there and I could see, you know, this crown, you know, in my mind's eye. Um, and I felt like him saying, now you need to reach up and pull it on with me. And it was this moment where it's like, I'm crowning you, but I need your partnership. I need your partnership in being crowned with the authority I want to give you. We have agency to step in to the authority and the anointing that he has for every single one of us. And it takes, it takes partnership. It says, okay, you have my yes. I'm going to place this on. I'm going to step into um, what you have for me. Even though I'm terrified and I have a gazillion excuses behind me, I'm going to do it. So, yeah. So good. I was just going to say one, one last thing. I can, again, I remember when I was first asked to sort of speak in, in my local church, and it was a terrifying experience. And I think I've shared this before, but whenever I spoke, you know, in the early days, I would get off the stage and I'd just feel this like wave of shame that would last, like often it could last days. I just feel this like horrible shame and it was the enemy, it was my own insecurity and and, like the narrative was, don't ever do that again. Like who do you think you are for stepping up? And it would take me days sometimes to shake it off. And, And it would have been enough to make me think, I'm just never doing that again. It was a horrible experience. Maybe it's the Lord saying, oh, I shouldn't do it. You know, and I think sometimes we misinterpret fear or uncomfortable feelings as a sign of, oh, I shouldn't do that. Yeah. No, like be really discerning of where the enemy is wanting to keep you back. And, you know, I can remember one of the things that drove me to keep saying yes. Like there are so many times that I've said yes to somebody saying, will you come and speak at this? And and my yes has been pure obedience. It's not been like, oh yeah, can't wait for that. (laughs) It's like, okay, God, I'll do it again because I know what's coming, the other side of it. I know the agony and the preparation and da-da-da and the shame shame that's going to come after it. But you know, the thing that kept saying, making me say yes is because I thought... At the time, there weren't many women up there speaking. And I thought, you know what? 
put my crap aside, I'm going to get up there because yeah. even if I get up there yeah. and it means that one woman in the room yeah. thinks, oh, I could do that, it's worth it. Yeah, it's, it, it's worth all the agony and the preparation. It's worth all the shame afterwards. If it means by me getting up there and doing my imperfect job of delivering a message, if it means that there are women in the room that get to see a woman yeah, it's good. preaching the word and think, I could have a go, brilliant. Yeah. And so in the end, obedience sometimes, it's not even about you. No. It's about exactly. what comes after you. Yeah. Very rarely uh, about you. <laughs> What's that? It's, it's very, very rarely about, about you. Or you, me, you. <laughs> no, I mean. It's always about you. No. It's always about me. I think we've got three minutes to pray. Yeah. There are some men that have crept in. Yes! Come on in. You're welcome. Maybe you're here to tell us we need to leave. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. She's no? sad. Let's she's sad. If you're listening to the podcast, hang on one second. If you're listening to the podcast, um, this is where we're going to wrap up. Thank you for joining us. Um, We're going to pray in the room. Uh, See you next time. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on socials at The Orchard Women to find out more about everything coming up. 